Yeah, that's very true. We are usually network operators going to use like usual looking glass when they they know exactly what they're looking for. Like they want to know the reachability to a prefix or they want to ping a specific IP address. Here we are stepping back a bit and trying to have that overview of the whole topology. Also, like network operators are usually interested in their own network. And we are monitoring the whole internet, all the autonomous system that compose the internet and try to see how they interact with each other. That's very interesting for us. You're listening to Ping, a podcast by APNIC discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, George Michelson. This time, I'm talking to Romain Fontoun from IIJ Research Labs in Tokyo. Romain is Deputy Director of the Labs at Japan's first ISP, which celebrated its 30th birthday last year. IIJ Research Lab has been working for some time on a measurement of network dependency in BGP that they call AS Hegemony. It's part of a system for public data analysis of the state of the internet called the Internet Health Report. I talked to Roman about the IHR and network dependency. Roman, welcome. Hi, George. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself before we go into the details of your measurement activity? How did you wind up in Tokyo? Yeah, of course. So, well, that's a long story. I'll try to make it short. When I was studying in France, I was doing my master in France. In Europe, it's common like you have to do an internship in a company or in a research lab to finish the master program. And I was looking for something abroad. I found something in Tokyo at the National Institute of Informatics. So I came here in Tokyo for six months. And 15 years later, I'm still here, you can see. <laughs> I've done my PhD and a, a postdoc here. And now I, uh, yeah, I work at IAJ Research Lab. You don't just work there. You're the deputy director of the research labs, aren't you? I believe you just got promoted. Yeah, that's quite new. Yeah, actually, it's effective from uh, last week. So, well, that's fantastic news, Roman. Well done. So, <laughs> one of the activities that is quite highly visible from IIJ is this thing called the Internet Health Report, and I think we could probably touch on it quite a bit. Can you talk a little bit about that? What is the Internet Health Report? Sure. So this is a project I'm leading, and the goal of this project is to make a kind of observatory for the internet. And when I think internet, I think really of the, the topology of the network. We are developing tools to understand what the internet looks like currently. We try to document how those networks are connected to each other. And one thing we are also interested in is see like how this change over time. So the internet is constantly changing and we are uh, monitoring those change over time. There is those long evolution of the internet. And there is also some very sudden events that happen. Could be like disruption or outages. 
we could see like if there is a power outage, we're going to see like a part of the internet will disappear. The internet will reroute around this. So those sudden change are also very interesting. So the goal of the project is really to develop those tools to make, we are making our looking glass and telescope to see the topology, to zoom on some part and see how those change over time. Right. Those tools people would be quite familiar with because looking glass is a kind of the debug diagnostic tool du jour that ISPs go to. But you seem to have a more holistic sense here that you're not just focused on a single view mechanism like a ping or a BGP root analysis. You're actually looking across a spectrum of things. Yeah, that's very true. We are usually network operators going to use like usual looking glass when they they know exactly what they're looking for. Like they want to know the reachability to a prefix or they want to ping a specific IP address. Here we are stepping back a bit and trying to have that overview of the whole topology. Also like network operators are usually interested in their own network and we are monitoring the whole internet, all the autonomous system that compose the internet and try to see how they interact with each other. That's very interesting for us. It's not that dissimilar perhaps to CADA in some respects, but perhaps a different take on a similar space. Personally, I think having people doing measurements in parallel and different places measuring is fantastic. And it feels different to Atlas, if similar to CADA. Maybe it has aspects of things that route views in Oregon are doing. But the thing is, there are many measures. This one is yours, right? Exactly, yeah. And we do work, uh, we collaborate a lot with Keda and RIPE. And I think it's very good that we have those, like you said, like there's those different projects going on in parallel. Because um, we have slightly different goals, different vision of the internet or, or how we want to do that. And I'm really glad that we work with them, but I'm really glad that we are also separate projects. What I find particularly interesting here is that RIPE and CADA are in effect neutral point measurement activities being done by research groups or community-led organizations. But you are a research arc inside an ISP. And to me, it's fascinating that IIJ do this. And this is not kind of a new thing. IIJ have been doing this for quite a long time, haven't they? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So it might be surprising that IIJ is doing this, but we are, the IIJ Research Lab in particular, is very much into the academic research. Of course, we are part of the IIJ group, but we are free to do research on a bit anything. And it's not like I'm not doing research for IAJ in particular. Our goal at IAJ Research Lab is to have an impact to the society in general, not only for IAJ operation. So might be surprising, but you could see IAJ Research Lab. It's really like we have one foot in the academic world and one in the industry. It's still directed by Kenjiro, Kenjiro Cho? Yes, yeah. Kenjiro is our director and he's been very good for that, actually. He's really involved in the internet measurement community, the SIGCOP community, been in, in many TPCs. So he knows like that, that research community and, and uh, help us to do that. So I first met you, I think, at an AIN 
PEC meeting, Kanchana's regional research and development meeting a few years back. And it felt like you're part of that community in the Asia-Pacific footprint that do a lot of post-grad, early-stage researcher career development. So you're quite involved in that space of reaching out and engaging in the community. Do you have programs in that space? Yeah, we do. So IAJ is helping those communities. So we have, for example, in Japan, we have something called the WIDE project. Right. That includes companies, but also a lot of universities. And IAJ is one of the main sponsors for that. WIDE is helping in the Asia-Pacific region to develop communities around the internet. IAJ also has, we have an internship program, so we welcome students to come to a lab and we work with them. Those students are, of course, from universities from all around the world. The Internet Health Report is also participating into the Google Summer of Code. I think you had quite a lot of applicants this year. I've been looking on the fringes of the Slack coordination channel and you guys have a lot of work to do combing through the proposals, don't you? Yeah, we do, yeah. <laughs> well, that's one of the advantages and disadvantages of this uh, Google Summer of Code is it gave us a, a lot of visibility, which is good. Like our project, this project started maybe six, seven years ago, and we are not so many people working on this. But once we have like uh, this kind of program with Google, they advertise it, we have tons of applicants, tons of people that want to contribute. Yeah, one thing I didn't mention is for the uh, Internet Test Report, all the um, source code we are writing, everything is open. It's all on our GitHub, so anyone can contribute. The way I see it is, is a project hosted by IIJ, but it's really a community effort because anyone can add a piece to it, and then we're going to just deploy this. We have a website, an API. and then if researcher thinks like, oh, that would be nice to add this to IHR, you call it IHR in short, well, they can just come to our GitHub, make a pull request, and we can add this there. I think it's a really lovely model for building up both the software toolkit behind a basis of measure and also encouraging people to get involved in the idea of long baseline persisting measurements. So I'm really pleased that you've made this initiative and that it's got a six-year history. I think it's fantastic. So the reason I thought it would be nice to talk to you was a specific measure that I've heard about and talked with you briefly when I was in a more direct role doing some research in APNIC. It's this concept you guys call AS hegemony. And I'd really like to understand what your motivations are and how you see this measure. So tell us about AS hegemony. Okay. So... First, I just want to clarify, like we call it sometimes a hair hegemony, sometimes we call it network dependency. I use those two terms. For me, it means more or less the same thing. The, to be specific, the hair hegemony is, is a metric we have proposed in a research paper. But the network dependency... So... It's an interesting question how you name things. I noticed that when Manners talked about their work as a manifesto, it had an enormously negative effect inside some of the communities. It's not a word. 
that I think the American operations community sit comfortably with because to them, manifestos are colored by things that they don't really want to engage with in terms of their activity. Whereas if you're in the European context, you know, scientists and philosophers and authors used to sit down in a cafe in Paris and write a manifesto. It was just a normal thing for them to do. It's a position statement. It's a word. And hegemony is very similar. It's a term that kind of comes into our domain from politics. And I think it makes people a little uncomfortable. But when you say network dependency, you actually kind of get there, don't you? This is a statement about the way other people's networks have influence over you and fundamentally, to some extent, limit what you can see and do. Yeah, exactly. And and the goal of this metric is really to measure those dependencies. And the example I always like to give here is the University of Tokyo. It's You don't have to know like how the University of Tokyo is connected to in the internet. It's very simple. So they have their own AS number, and they are mainly connected to a network called Synet. This is the national research and education network in Japan. So for non-BGP speakers, and there probably are one or two who are listening to this podcast, an AS number is like an identifier for a thing called an autonomous system. And again, autonomous, wonderful world. It just kind of means the number that identifies an entity which controls its own routing, that decides how to announce its internet addresses, V4 addresses and V6 addresses into the world using this protocol called BGP, the Border Gateway Protocol. So the University of Tokyo has one. It's got an identity and it controls its own routing fate and it has one partner that it primarily speaks to, Cynet. Exactly. And so if you look at, in BGP, there is this AS pass attribute where you can see the route from the place on the internet to, for example, the University of Tokyo, and you can see like all the ASs the packet's going to follow. So if you look at all the route that goes to the University of Tokyo, you will see that Cynet is always appearing as a hope. So it's very central. It's very important. It's a place that all the packets are going to have to cross to reach the University of Tokyo. It's kind of an unavoidable point of narrowing of the complexity of routing. If you're going to Tokyo, you are going to wind up passing through this collection of prefixes. This AS is always going to be there, no matter what you do or where you come from. Exactly. And that's why we call this network dependency, because so if... If Synet has uh, troubles, if it gets congested, then this is going to have an impact also to the traffic for the University of Tokyo. So we're going to say that the University of Tokyo depends on Synet connectivity. And the metric we propose, AS hegemony, is quantifying those dependencies. In the case of the University of Tokyo, so you can see this as a percentage. It's going to tell us like about 100% of the path to the University of Tokyo, uh, goes through Synet. But if Tokyo had one connection that it made for some research reason directly to, say, SoftBank, then the AS hegemony figure would change because for some amount of views within Japan, if you happen to use SoftBank as your primary routing provider, you wouldn't pass through Synet. Yes. Yeah, we can see that. So if there is like if the network is multi-homed, 
I think, in fact, the, the University of Tokyo is also connected to the wide network, but it's not like a common way to reach the University of Tokyo. So there's kind of this difference between how many links you have, and you could have many, and then dot, 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 yeah, but how many of the world actually uses those other peering relationships in BGP? And if they're not functionally used, that one AS that people do come down, it covers you. Exactly. So the AS is going to give you that, that percentage. We're going to say like on that link between the University of Tokyo and Synet, we see that most of the paths take this link. And you can see this, this has a difference. Like Kada has um, a data set called customer cones. And I think that makes like the main difference between their data set where they try to, so if you go to Kada, the the University of Tokyo will be in the customer cone of Synet. It looks like they are customers of Synet, they're downstream of Synet. But AS Germany at that thing, it tells us like, yes, they are a customer, they might be customers of other network. And we see that they're using mainly Synet as an upstream. So it's a measure. It's comparable to customer cone, which in turn has some relationship to BGP configuration concepts like AS set and customer set when people are constructing filters. And in my head, it sounds like you're saying customer cone is a rather narrow single value statement. You are a customer end, whereas the network dependency measure is a little bit more. We know you have more diversity. We're trying to tell based on our measurements how much of your networking depends on this point. Yes. And the second thing we have to is we can measure dependencies that are multi-hops away. So I like this example of the University of Tokyo because Synet is actually mainly using IIJ as its upstream provider. So Synet depends on IIJ. There is, I think it's 70 to 80% of the paths we see from the internet to Synet will go through IIJ. So because of that, the University of Tokyo is also dependent on IIJ. So it's like a transitive property where customer cone has no transitivity. It kind of customer cone is a statement, I am a customer of X. Your measure, you get this transitive quality, yes, but in hegemony terms, you're both covered by this other thing. Yes. And so if you go to our website, you can see like if you go for the we have a report for the University of Tokyo. You will see that both Synet and IIJ are, are ranked pretty high because of this, even though University of Tokyo is not directly connected to IIJ. And this is a very important piece of information that uh, network operators or peering coordinators can use for their deployment. For example, in this case, if the University of Tokyo want to diversify their connection, if they want to have more upstream, it wouldn't make too much sense to connect to IIJ. That wouldn't diversify the connectivity. It would shorten the path, and that might in itself have a small amount of incremental improvement in reliability, but it wouldn't alter their fundamental dependency on the routing behavior yes. of IIJ. It's not addressing that bottleneck we see for them. Like We see that choke point like going through IIJ and Synet. Uh, if they want to address that, then... Well, they could use that data to understand the situation and try to change this. So it's kind of a measure, and it has a quality of a diagnostic 
measure because it tells you aspects of behavior of the system at large. But it's also quite like a decision support tool or an economic analysis tool. I mean, this goes to questions around competition and monopoly behavior. This is very interesting. We know, like, so some of our users, we put all this data online and people use it as they wish, but we got some feedback and we've heard from some peering coordinator that are uh, using this for their peering decisions. Uh, we've been in talk with some political scientists that also look at uh, different countries and see uh, if there's a monopoly, if there's consolidation around uh, certain uh, players. And one thing I haven't uh, mentioned is what I've explained so far is the very basic IT. So we can measure the network dependency for one AS, but the method we proposed is very general. And we can, instead of looking at a single AS, we could actually look at a set of ASCs. So I could take all the ASCs that are registered in Japan and see what this set of AS depends on. So that gives us an idea of how Japan is connected to the rest of the internet, if there is like important transit networks that are used in Japan. And we can see this in some countries, for example, Iran or Pakistan, where like the, um, they will have like one very big AS that connects the whole country to the internet. We can monitor those things at a larger scale. So it sounds like it has quite a range of different applications. You've talked about how network engineers and possibly peering coordinators can use it. So that comes to deployment questions. That's, I'm in the business of optimizing my network. I'm looking at the sweet spot between expenditure and outcome. It's a peering decision assist tool. Does it have a role to play in things like outage detection? Yeah, it does. And uh, we are sometimes tweeting, like when we see um, uh, important outages, we tweet some of... uh, one example, very recent example, was in Italia. There was an outage in February, and the outage came from Telecom Italia, the the main. So it, it has different name. I think it was called Sibon before. Maybe now it's uh, Timnet. Right, but this is a former monopoly telco that's moved over from telephony into national internet provision. I don't think they have a particularly large export market. But an interesting question would be, how many other Italian ISPs are affected because Telecom Italia have some kind of an outage? Exactly. So because they are very big in Italy and we can see, so far we've talked about like what AS depend on what, but we can see also for an AS, for Telecom Italia, for example, who depend on them. So it's like looking at the customer cone. And um, the network dependency we measure this every 15 minutes. So we compute a new value every 15 minutes. So when there is a, a sudden change, we can see those changes. And in the case of an outage, we could see that all those backup link that suddenly appears, all the routing, when there's a, an outage, like BGP is trying its best to keep reachability. So it's going to try to find another And it will be doing that inside the 15-minute window. So you imagine an outage happens for only two or three minutes, fine. It's a transient event. You might miss it, although you might see echoes of it as things stabilize. But a long-lived outage, 
in your 15-minute reprisal of how are things going, you would notice massive swings in routing and alterations in this apparent coverage behavior between people. And it kind of begs the question, okay, you were multi-homed, you thought you were getting some redundancy. If you look at customer cone, you'd be saying, yes, I have independent route. You look at hegemony and network dependency. No, your alternate also fell back on using Telecom Italia, right? Exactly, yeah. You could see that. And uh, in the case of Telecom Italia, we can see like that the customer can just uh, collapse. So we see like there is X number of networks. I forgot the exact number. There is a certain number of networks that you usually uh, use Telecom Italia that drop very rapidly. And one thing that is very interesting is, is to see like how long it takes to recover. It took over a day, I mean, one or two days to recover and to, for the internet to be back into a stable uh, state. Wow, a day. When you think that flap damping typically takes place on things like 30-second timers and hold downs, to take a day to recover at scale from an outage, that seems like a huge gap between BGP's own logic of timing and propagation of state and the finalization of the outcome. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I find it fascinating when sometimes we see like there's a, a, so there's an outage, we see some backup links that appear and we know that the outage have been fixed, but those backup links are still used. Like it's not going back to the initial state. Like there is, um, it's like the event as um change a bit the topology and it's not going back exactly to the same state. It's alive. Yeah. <laughs> so apart from outages, do you have a use case that goes to things like route leak detection? So yes, there was a group at uh, first at MIT, David Clark and uh, Cecilia Testart was uh, working on um, BGP leak uh, detection using uh, AS Hegemony. And I found like this was a very interesting study because uh, so what they do is if you understand for a network, you understand what is the main dependencies. If there is a new BGP announcement that tells you, I can reach this network, but from a very different upstream, it looks very suspicious. And they can, using the hegemony, they can estimate how suspicious it is. Is it like an upstream that is rarely used or is it something that really came out of the blue and they can, uh, like that tag, BGP announcement that looks like route leaks. We had a study that does a similar thing for uh, BGP IJAX where we can classify. There's different types of BGP IJAX and understanding the, the dependency between the network also help us to it feels like the network dependency measure is a stable value computed every 15 minutes. You can now have derived products. So sudden rate of change in someone's dependency or their peer ranking against a set of other ASs. That's indication of an incredibly disruptive change in BGP. But the real mechanics of peering, they don't change very frequently. Yeah. People don't randomly add and remove peers. So these sudden events, which are like a second order derivative, they would be hugely indicative of something going on, wouldn't they? Yeah. And you also touch a point that I haven't mentioned and that I really, really like about this metric is for those that have worked with BGP data, they might know that BGP data is very noisy. There is a lot of like 
flapping links. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of data. But actually, the yeah. important part, like the the stable topology. So if the topology is stable, there is no BGP message. There is no data that is sent. And one thing that I really like for this metric is, so if you go on our website and look at the values we have over time, they are extremely flat. Our graph looks boring because they're very, very flat. Like you said, like those pairing policy are not changing much. So actually, the values we estimate are very flat. But when you look at the raw data, there's just like a lot of things happening. I've sat in on conversations at different meetings, and there's kind of different characterizations of the behavior here. Randy Bush likes to talk about the BGP good put, and he'll kind of sit at the back of a room listening to talks about things and say, yes, but did any of this actually alter packet delivery? And people will say no. And he'll say, well, in that case, the amount of work BGP did is immaterial. As long as it provided routing connectivity, it's good. Danny McPherson has done some amazing work on the iBGP visibility of change. And it has astronomical numbers of point changes of small prefixes that are altering their routing efficiency inside a network. Other people have said, yeah, but it has no global visibility. Steve Kasner and Genghis Atalongu, I believe they were looking at micro events in BGP, the very, very high frequency changes that take place. You're kind of saying you have some insights into a longer baseline stable state here. Yeah. And it's, after all, this is like the goal of, of that overall project, the Internet Health Report. Our goal is really like to get those very big data sets we're using only open data, but it could be like BGP data, trace route. There's those very, very big data sets that are kind of hard to analyze just because of the size of it. And we are trying to extract out of this like the most useful insight we can, like the most actionable insight we can get. Um, so people don't have to, to uh, deal with the raw data. They can just have a good idea of uh, some important point that could be made from that uh, data. So you mentioned earlier that you have the ability not only to make inferences about a single AS, but about multiple ASs. And you mentioned that this can include the whole AS set for an economy. Now, that seems to me to be very topical in the current context where we have things going on at a nation state level that potentially affect the stability of, of BGP. Can you say anything about that and how your work plays there? Yeah, sure. We had a, a study about that, and that study was about Crimea in 2014 when it was uh, annexed by Russia. We could see how that, that event impacted the topology of the internet. And the, the, so the peninsula was um, well connected to, so the, first of all, like the, it's what is very surprising. That was very surprising for me. Um, there is a lot of autonomous systems that are operating only in Crimea. There is a lot of uh, people there that have like personal ASN or like businesses that have their own ASN. So we it's quite a stark difference between Europe and Asia. Europe has incredible diversity of ASs, a really huge number of ASs, and they're not necessarily direct members of the RIPE NCC. They have an indirect application mechanism. In Asia, for the headcount of population online, we have far, far less, far less 
not none, but yeah. the total counts are really quite small. I mean, Japan is what, 250 million people? And the headcount of AS is probably floating around a thousand. Well, in Europe, it could be three times that number, couldn't it? Yeah, and I'm not sure like how many people live in Crimea, but we've found about hundred ASs that are operating only in Crimea. So like we think like the IP space is only there. And were they mainly single homed or were these multi homed? So there was a few uh, local like regional transit ASs. And those transit ASs, so that operate in Crimea, they were then connected, so before 2014, they were mainly connected to uh, Ukrainian ISPs, uh, some European ISPs. It was like a very diverse connectivity. Right. So Crimea is a small peninsula and it hangs into the Black Sea. And there's potential for cabling through the waters to reach other economies, but there's also good terrestrial land linkage. So their choice of route diversity was quite interesting. They had options, but now we have this geopolitical event. Someone else walks in and says, actually, historically, you were part of us, not part of them. Presumably, they're looking to break those AS links. Yeah, and that's what happened. We, we see it very clearly in the data. So there was a new S uh, that appeared in the topology and that was used to connect Crimea to Ross Telecom is the incumbent in Russia. And we could see that shift. Uh, so suddenly, like all those connections from Crimea to uh, Europe were, it's not suddenly, it took actually a couple of years to see the shift. And now, at some point, our AS hegemony value was very close to 100%. So we could see like almost all Crimea was uh, going through a single AS to connect to the rest of the internet. And of course, that makes like a single point of failure. And that was a very interesting case because when we look at the long term, we have some studies also where we look at the overall evolution of the internet, we see more and more diversity, a bit more connectivity. And here's the opposite, you know, like it considered yeah. consolidated around uh, that. It's a weird decision logic that a BGP speaker has because once you start reaching out and peering with people, you are actually at some extent incurring cost. It's not free to associate with someone. You have to construct a link between you and you have to come to an agreement of understanding what you're going to do across that barrier. But if you move up a plane in that mechanistic cost, it can have massive impact in terms of your profitability. It's why exchanges work, right? Because if you can avoid transit costs to reach a large, diverse community, and if the nature of your customers are they want to speak to those people on the internet, well, you're not passing through an intermediary, a third party that's charging both of you money. So now you come to, yes, but now there's the higher plane. There's been a geopolitical disruption. An authority figure wants to alter the nature of your relationships. They need to intrude into your model. So it's the kind of junction of the economic cost, the labor cost, the functional efficiency and stability and resilience, and the political realities. It's fascinating. It is, yeah. It's very fascinating, yeah. And, and that's part of the... Uh, so now we have this tool. We understand it pretty well. And it's also what we're planning to do in the future is to, of course, look at more events, but also understand a bit like we could guess, or in the case of Telecom Italia, we can guess like, oh, look, that network 
is too central for a lot of ASs. There is too much consolidation around that AS. So maybe uh, that's a good place where we could improve the internet. You're not making that judgment call individually as IIJ. You're saying if people want to go into the community space and look at this, it's a tool they can use to make that assessment for themselves. Yes, yeah, yeah. And now what we're doing is, is a lot of uh, post-mortem. We, after the outage, for example, we can show like, hey, look, that was not so good. Like There was just like too many networks relying on this yeah, one. Yeah. If you'd made alternate decisions in your inter-AS architecture, you might have avoided some of these dependencies. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'd like to maybe work a bit more on the tools we have uh, might be a bit hard to use for the, uh, the, <laughs> the average user. Um, and we are trying to uh, make our like user interface, our, provide our data in, in a bit... Uh, easier for Well, this actually is quite a nice bridge to the next thing I thought I might ask you, because how are you actually building this model? What are the fundamentals you're using to construct the network dependency model? I won't enter too much into the detail, but the basic idea is the AS hegemony metric is a node centrality metric. So this is related to graph theory. Uh, you can see the internet as a graph. Right. And you can use BGP data to build that graph. So the graph will be... So you have an instance of a BGP speaker that is receiving BGP updates from the peers it has. It's not proffering transit. You're not tapping into IIJ's main routing architecture. No, we don't. We don't. You? You we're we're using something. only open data. So we're using yeah. uh, data from RIPRIS yeah. and RODVIEWS. Those are two great projects. Right. I can't say enough. They're amazing right. projects. And these are also multiple views. Each of these are 30, 40, 50 points of visibility yes. into global BGP. They're not single point measures. And from this, you construct a graph, a mathematical construct about edges and vertices and how they interconnect. Exactly. Yeah. And the nodes are the S and they connect when we see that there is a link between them in, in BGP. So there's approximately 100,000 ASs in the global BGP space. And having constructed this graph every 15 minutes for every one of those nodes, you then perform a functional test. What is your AS hegemony? Yes. And the, the test we're doing, so the metric we're using is, if you know about graph theory, is very, very similar to something called betweenness centrality. Betweenness centrality is just measuring like what are the most central nodes in a graph. If you were using a graph display tool, these would be the values that make it kind of jangle about until something's moved to the center, right? These are yes. the weights that cause the graph displayer to decide what is important. Yeah. And the problem with like the, the usual between centrality is it doesn't work very well in our case because, like you said, there is about 100,000 nodes in our graph. And I think from recent road views, we got about... 500 vantage points. So we got data from 500 places. And what happened is when you build the graph from those 500 vantage points, all the paths are going to start from those vantage points. So it makes those vantage points very central. It's just like it's the bias because we are collecting data from them. Sure. And between that centrality won't work very well because it's going to tell us like, hey, look, all your vantage points are very central. And we're like, yeah, we know that. We, <laughs> we want to know about the topology, not, yeah. the, not our view of the internet. So we've designed that metric, AS hegemony, that takes a lot from between centrality, but try to account 
for that bias we have in the data. Right. And that's basically it. And we could apply this with, we're using BGP data, but we could apply this for other data sets or so. The interesting thing for me in BGP is an observation Jeff Houston makes almost annually. Although the rate of growth in participants in BGP is a continually rising function, might be linear, might be geometric, different point. It's always been rising, but the diameter, the average diameter, the average path length has been approximately constant across the life of the internet, which is kind of crazy. We're getting bigger, but we're sort of not getting bigger. It's like we're getting richer. And here you are with 500 points of measurement trying to see through this richness of connectivity saying, yeah, but what are the real points? Where are the dependencies in this? It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we do see like over time, like you say, like it's growing. Like we see like there's more and more S's. The graph become bigger. But we do also see that the dependencies are getting uh, slightly, like the overall dependency of all the S's getting a bit lower. So it's the same meaning as what you said. The graph might become bigger, but it's also better connected. There is more links yeah. in it, so it makes that the circumference of it is uh, not increasing. And uh, the good thing is, like, because those dependency values are overall decreasing, it means we might have a more reliable internet. Might do. Good thing. So what do you use as a coding basis for this? How are you implementing this? So we have, and the Internet Health Report is, it's now in the current state. It's a research prototype, I should say. It's not like a service that IAG is providing. It's a prototype that the lab is writing. And we try different things, but now I think we have a good uh, system that works pretty well for us. The way it works is we are downloading a lot of data from the internet and we push all of this in a Kafka cluster. Kafka is just, they call it like a message broker. Uh, system and yep. so we can just push all the data we have there and we have analysis module that's gonna connect to that kafka cluster read the data compute for example so as hegemony is one of them it's gonna uh, compute something and push back the values into the kafka cluster we might have other analysis module that will also read these computed values for example we have an anomaly detector that finds when dependencies are changing. And we can uh, report this. So we have this kind of analytic platform where we push data and we analyze things. And we have a big database that is plugged to that that will just archive all the data we are computing. And this database is exposed to the rest of the world through our website and we have a REST API. So Almost all the data we are computing is online. It's available through a REST API. So if you go to ihr.live, uh, you can see like there's a tab for the API. And that's using some mechanism like Swagger, where there's a self-documenting statement of the API endpoints and how to do engagement. I, I guess we can always do better for the documentation. And we welcome contribution for that. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> can. Maybe that should be a good summary of code, yeah, 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 Google sure, yeah. project. <laughs> and we, yeah. But essentially, it's publicly available through web-exposed REST APIs. 
and it's based on Apache Kafka as a message bus collection framework and Postgres for your archive and for your um, derived yes. product, yeah. basically. But you code this in it's, Python? Yeah, it's almost all Python. So the, the front end, the, the best language. <laughs> the, all the analysis is done in Python, and the website is, is using JavaScript. I had a hard time to, to learn yeah. about JavaScript. One last thing I want to mention about the data is... As a researcher, I know that I usually want to get as much data as I want. And we had a lot of researchers that broke our API because it just hammered us with too many queries. So what we do also, we have a sister website that just provides dumps of our database. So if you want all the data, right. just go there. Like Don't kill the API. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, use the API to do point requests that can be satisfied from a function call. But if you're doing bulk requests to do some analytics into a series, go yes, for the bulk yeah, data yeah. dumps. Where are you going from here? What's next in this project? Um, there is a lot of different direction we like to follow. One we are currently doing in the lab is to use actually the same approach, but a, a different data source. So instead of using BGP data, we're using traceroute data. That sounds like mm. just a small change. But in fact, in traceroute data, you can see things that you don't see in BGP. And one of those things you don't see is IXPs. So in our current uh, results, you won't see dependencies to IXPs. Let's say if, if my AS is connected to an IXP and, and I rely a lot on this, you might see like the AS that participate in that AXP, but you don't see the AXP in between. So you're leveraging the declaration of delegation status of the prefix, or you're using the CADA data set that types the prefixes according to their model of use. How are you inferring IXP use? You're, you're using delegation status? We use, no, for that, we use mainly PeeringDB. So PeeringDB provide, like, for, right. for a lot of IXP, they provide a uh, prefix of what is the uh, peering LAN. Right. So if you see the IP address ranges appearing in the traceroute instance that you know are an assignment in the IX, you know you've transited the AS exposure exactly, in the IS, exactly. IX presence. And for the other IPs, we might use, like, BGP data to map, like, from an IP to an AS. There is a lot of like small uh, improvement to do, but basically this gives us another graph where this time the nodes are not only ASCs, but there is ASCs and IXPs. And now when we apply our metric, the AS hegemony, we can then measure the dependencies to ASCs and IXPs. And it really helps us to understand a bit the position of IXP in the topology, which I think is not like super well understood. Well, I think there's a lot of interest in the applicability of IXs to avoiding long-haul transits. You know, traffic going out of region is quite a concern for a number of reasons. So having better understanding of where the IXs are playing a role in global delivery, I think, is a, an interesting contribution. Is that kind of a space that you think might work for future internships or other projects? Is this like work in progress? Yeah, this is a work in progress. And we have a lot of internships and like topics related to that. The other one, like I'm very interested, and I think I will, uh, we're going to work on this in the probably two years, is to understand a bit the topological, we talked about like those choke points or bottlenecks we can see in the topology. Uh, so we do yeah. a lot of post-mortem analysis, but now I'd like to 
have a better understanding of what are the most critical places on the internet where we see a lot of consolidation. And we can look at the whole graph, the whole topology, or we could actually zoom on a certain types of network. Here, the easy example is if you take universities in a country, I'm, I'm going back to the example with the University of Tokyo and the University in Japan. If you look at all universities in Japan, well, they are almost all connected to Sinet. So we can really see that consolidation around Sinet for the academic networks, which makes sense. But also, it's, uh, we could ask other questions about different type of ASCs, I don't know, like for uh, governments or like different business type, how they consolidate around certain upstreams. I think that there's going to be a lot of future value in adding this kind of model based on graph theory and looking at different aspects of the graph behavior. I really like the network dependency measure. I think it's an amazingly valuable addition to people's sense of what is happening in the network. Roman, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you for agreeing to come on the program and share what you guys are doing. Can you repeat the URL again where people can see this? It's Sure. The short one is ihr.live. And when you go there, actually, it redirects you to ihr.iagelab.net. And IHR stands for Internet Health Report, of course. Well, thank you very much. And thank you to IIJ Research for providing so much community value. I think it's brilliant. Thank you, George. If you've got a story or research to share here on Ping, why not get in contact by email to ping at apnic.net or via the APNIC social media channels. Also, remember the measurement at apnic.net mailing list on Orbit is there to discuss and share relevant collaborative opportunities, grants and funding opportunities, jobs and graduate placings, or to seek feedback from the community on your own measurement projects. Be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time. <laughs>